morning, church family, both online and on campus. It seems like we might have more online today than on campus, but we're glad you're all here. And I want to say a special thank you from Michelle and I to you as a church for your generosity, your love. It's such a joy to serve and to serve you. And we're, you know, just humbled uh, by honor and, and gifts on our part because we just feel like this is what we're called to do and it doesn't seem like work. Um, you know, it, it seems like a, that a labor of, of love on our behalf for the most part that uh, God has, has given us the great opportunity to, to serve him and to love him. And uh, I was thinking uh, today about how much we love the church and we love God's family. And, you know, Michelle and I were um, here when the uh, we were doing a major kind of remodel in the front uh, for uh, the church and uh, the trees that are against the, the property, the building here, and then uh, in the middle area there, some of the landscaping that was taking place. The guys had just finished doing all the sprinklers, and so they brought these uh, all these plants, these beautiful plants, out and set them around, and the trees that are going to be there and everything, and it just, uh, I didn't realize it was going to be so, like, moving emotionally for me to see this happen, because... You know, you talk about loving the house of God and, and, and uh, what it represents for us uh, isn't just the building and, and uh, you know, the, the decorations and things like that, but it represents a place that welcomes God's family. And uh, just watching them set the plants out and things like that was just so moving. You know, it just, it just thinking about this is God's house. This is where God meets with his people. This is one of the places that we gather together to worship Him and to love Him, and it's just such an honor and a joy to, to be a part of that, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Um, we are on the last, I can't believe it, the very last of uh, the uh, messages in our God Talk series, and we've been in a little mini-series, a three-week series on evangelism, so we talked about, you know, the starting place for evangelism is in us, we must be born again. We talked about last week building a legacy of evangelism. I am a product of that. So many of you that are here today and online are products of this wonderful legacy of evangelism. And whether this is you are the first generation person that's accepted Jesus Christ or your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth generation that's received Christ, uh, you can build a legacy of evangelism that will carry throughout the generations. And it makes such a huge impact you know, on, uh, on, on everyone when we are generationally thinking about evangelism as opposed to just thinking of it as a single event that I'm participating in. So today, and we got a little hint of it from the video there, we want to talk about evangelism uh, in, in respect to passage of scripture out of Matthew chapter 22, we'll read in just a moment, titled it, With All Your Mind, With All Your Mind. And uh, I want to talk about us digging deep into the Word of God that we are able to strengthen uh, our, our walk in the Lord, our understanding of who God is, and be able to answer questions that might be put towards us. Matthew chapter 22 is one of the places we're going to read. And then we're going to skip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. But first of all, let's, let's uh, stand for the reading of God's Word in Matthew chapter 22, 
Skipping down to verse 36. Everybody there? All right. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And if you want to move over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking, Lord, that you would help us understand today how important it is for us to love you not only with all of our heart, but with all of our mind. God, that we would, we would understand, Lord, the importance of there being both a personal, experiential relationship with you, and Lord, a reason that we know is true to reach out to you and love you, and that you are God alone. And we ask that you would minister that into our hearts and lives today through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Where you're seated, turn to somebody and say, hey, you got good looking. I really am so glad. (laughs) Failure to prepare can lead to a failed faith. Failure to prepare can lead to a failed faith. I came across a statistic that was released a few years back by the Barna Group, who does a lot of research in churches and, and with Christianity to kind of find out what's going on nationwide. And it was kind of disturbing to read back through this, but their, their research had determined that 65% of high school students stop attending church after they graduate. 65% of high school students stop attending church after they graduate. Now, it's really a, a staggering thing to think about, that there would be that kind of numbers. So many Christians, though, and the answer to why that happens is so many Christians do not know why they believe what they believe. And if we do not know why we believe If the foundation is not solid, then it can be shaken, and whatever can be shaken is going to be shaken, right? We uh, need to have the why question answered as well in terms of our commitment in relationship with God. Why do we have that commitment? Christians will abandon their faith because they are not prepared at times to answer basic arguments against God that are presented to them as, uh, you know, from non-believers. And it happens a lot for, uh, you know, uh, young people when they enter the collegiate uh, ranks. Uh, if they're not going to a Bible school or such, they're going to a secular university, then uh, they are confronted oftentimes by friends and people who are not believers, and their faith is challenged. And some of the areas, some of the things that, that are challenging, and it not only happens for young people, but it happens, many of you are seated here who are online watching, 
Your faith has been challenged by coworkers by uh, that don't believe, and and they they don't feel like they feel like you're wasting your time in the pursuit of of trying to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, they may ask the question along this line: If God really existed, why would He allow evil and suffering to exist on the world? I mean, if there really is a God, and He He's all powerful, and He can fix things, then why does God allow evil on the planet and why does God allow sickness? Examples of that they might give you would be school shootings or 9-11 or rape, abuse, cancer. Why is it that these things would be allowed if God has the ability to uh, remedy them? And then there might be a question of, uh, some of you may have faced uh, people who are adamant that there is no proof for creation uh, theory and that uh, it's just a theory out there and that there's no proof for it and evolution has been proved and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, you're just following a, a blind kind of faith if you're going to walk off and, and, and believe in, in creation. Do you really believe that the whole earth was destroyed by a flood and, and uh, only eight people made it aboard an ark and all of the animals came two by two and marched onto the, to the ship or such other things that are read in scriptures. These are fairy tales and fantasies and, and mythology and why would you believe those kinds of things? Others might come and challenge uh, the core of Christianity by saying, you know, the, the life of Jesus is undocumented. And it's very unlikely that he even was a real person. And, and not to mention that absolutely there's no proof for his resurrection from the dead. Others might come and, and challenge you by saying, you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? You, you have such a, 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 a complex believing that you know the only way. How about all of these other people that are searching and, and diligently working in religions, Muslims and Buddhists and, and the billions and billions of people that believe that? Do you believe they're all going to hell and you're the only one that's right? Others might come and say, you know, uh, there, is no, there is no morality. There is no good and evil. They're just an illusion. Right and wrong is decided by society and according to the survival of humanity. It's always been that way from the cavemen forward. They just they make rules and in society. They're not moral or amoral or, or, or so forth or so on. You know, they're just laws and rules that are laid down so that humanity may survive. And then we approach the place as Christians where our faith is getting a little shaken by some of these things. And it is primarily because we have loved God with all our heart, with all of our soul, but we really haven't loved Him much with our mind. We haven't really dug into the Word of God to see what's going on. We haven't really studied the Word of God. We haven't really gotten deeper to answer some of these questions. We rely on people in our lives. Maybe in, in the early stages, it might be mom and dad would have an answer for you, or a pastor would have an answer for you, or uh, a famous theologian might have an answer for you, or a Bible scholar might have an answer. I don't have an answer for you. It's a challenge for us that we would have an answer to give 
to a world who has a question. And I think that sometimes we worry too much that the person asking the question is, is, you know, deeply learned in what they're talking about. And even as you look at some of these questions that I went through right here, there are so many flaws in these questions that reveal that the person asking them hasn't even studied at all. They haven't read this book. They, they haven't uh, uh, dug a little deeper into the history of Christianity. And so the questions being asked are foolish. You are never at the mercy of the questioner. And you never need to feel like that you're wholly shaken just because somebody has a question that you have to think about for a moment or go back and bring an answer to them once you do your research, your study. Because when we really look, the evidence for God's existence is overwhelming. We, and, and, it's, and it's really the other side of those who are non-believers that are rejecting something that is absolutely overwhelming. But we must know the answers so that our faith is not shaken. And so Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Timothy was instructed by Paul, study, show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Someone who can rightly divide the word of God. Someone who understands what the word of God says. Not someone who will parse out and, and try to fit scripture into the way they want to live life, but someone who really understands in context what is being said in scripture from cover to cover, what it really means. So many times we ignore the command of God, though, to love with all of our mind. We get busy. We've got a lot of things on our agenda. We become experts in other things, but we're not becoming really good experts in handling the Word of God. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. It's one thing to know what, and it's just as important for us to know why. Deal Moody said something I, th I found funny, but so true. He said, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Do you know what God's Word says? Are you really a student of the Word of God? And if you are, I think you will come to the same kind of conclusion that I have, that I believe in God and, and I believe in Him because of the overwhelming evidence. First of all, creation testifies of Him. In um, Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pour out, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. We really don't have to look any further for the evidence of God than this vast creation, that life has happened in a place that it should not have. And, in, and, and we are setting in, in the perfect uh, position for life to happen. 
and that everything came from nothing. Even when I hold out my hand, I'm not showing you nothing. There are atoms, there are neutrons, there are electrons. There's all kinds of things around us, oxygen, everything else, uh, components for life. But at one time, there was none of that. And suddenly, there was life. What I'm talking about here in, is, in, in philosophy is called the cosmological argument. And I'll walk through the cosmological argument with you, uh, basically, from, uh, for the evidence for God, all right? The cosmological argument uh, really has six points. First, things exist. How many of you would agree with that? All right, things do exist. <laughs> I think even your non-believing friends would agree things exist. The second part of that is to say it is possible that those things, for those things not to exist. Amen? All right? Have you ever seen it when things don't exist? You know, a hammer, a nail, <laughs> You know, milk in the fridge, uh, you know, it might exist on the planet somewhere, but it's not existing in your immediate arena, right, of life. But it is possible then for us to understand that thing, for things not to exist. There have been tremendous inventions in our time where things that were not are now. And uh, then whatever, uh, number three is whatever has the possibility for non-existence, yet exist, has been caused to exist. There's not a single one of us that would, you know, see an iPhone uh, laying on the front uh, chair here and say, wow, that's amazing. It just appeared out of the earth, you know, uh, and I don't even know what that is. Or, you know, it's, it's amazing how that happened. We know by looking at it that there was a creator. There was someone who designed it. There was someone who made it. And so, too, by looking at the evidence of the world, we see that where there should be nothing that exists, everything exists, and there must have been a cause for this. Something cannot bring its own self into existence, right? Since it must exist in order to bring itself into existence. So then number four is, therefore, there cannot be an infinite number of causes to bring something into existence. More recent uh, science uh, attempts and theories have been about multiple universe, multi-universe, and that in some of those multiple universes, you would get what we have. You would get life. And so if you have an infinite number of, of multiple universes, at some point, you would get life as you and I know it today, right? And uh, so it is the theory that there, there is absolutely nothing, and that if you take nothing and multiply it by a gazillion, you're going to get something. <laughs> So there cannot be an infinite number of causes to bring something into existence. Number five, then, is therefore there must be an uncaused cause of all things. An uncaused cause of all things. And number six brings us to the conclusion of our argument. The uncaused cause must be God. <laughs> As I look out and see the wonder of the universe... And I see everything that is. I think, I can't do this. I don't have any friends that can do this. I don't know any compilation of people who could ever do this. This is wonderful. This is amazing. There must be a God who can do this. And I love it in uh, early scripture. It's Genesis chapter 4. At the very end, you're reading all the lineages, you know. 
and it dawns on uh, you know the generation of Seth, and it says, after Seth, men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. <laughs> It's like, wow, look at the wonders around us and all these kinds of things. If there is, you know, if, if I'm here, if all of this is here, then that must have been a designer who created us. And maybe that designer wants to talk to me. I'm going to talk to him. I want to hear from him and I want him to be able to hear from me, right? Belief in God is, is bolstered through the evidence of God's existence that, that uh, is readily available for us. All creation bears silent witness to the fact of the Creator. We just read that in Psalms 19. And then God's book, the Bible, establishes its own uh, validity and historical accuracy. For example, consider uh, one of the Old Testament uh, prophecies concerning Christ and His, and his uh, coming uh, to earth. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it states that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Judea. It was prophesied 400 years before he was born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now Micah gave this prophecy, and we see that it came to pass in, in Luke chapter 2. You can read about it, verses 1 through 20. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We can trust the Scriptures as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. How can we trust the Scriptures? We know that for the New Testament, there are 5,856 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts and an additional 18,130 manuscripts in other languages that have been cataloged. In contrast with other ancient books, which William Lane Craig was talking about a moment ago in the New Testament, scholar Dan Wallace states, we have more than a thousand times the manuscript data for the New Testament than we do for the average Greco-Roman author. And to a closer period, as William Lane Craig was saying, 400 years uh, removed from Alexander the Great, but only less than 100 years in many instances for Jesus. In other words, there were still people who had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, touched Jesus, hugged Jesus, maybe even been healed by Jesus, that were around when these uh, scriptures were being penned. Someone might have said, well, that's wrong. That didn't happen. Um, that's incorrect. I remember I was there, but no one did. They were available to refute it. And not only this, but the, the uh, manuscripts from an average classical author are uh, really, in many instances, no earlier than 500 years from the time that they were wrote, written. The earliest surviving copies of the New Testament are mere decades, in some instances, from the time that they were originally written. Scholars estimate that textual criticism has been uh, able to restore the New Testament text to 99.5% similarity to the original uh, uh, writings. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls is another huge reason that we can have confidence in the scriptures. And that uh, contained mostly the Old Testament scriptures. And very clearly, uh, many of them in, in, uh, from the book of Isaiah. 
And that happened in 1946 or 50, uh, 1946 through 56. There was a series of caves that were discovered that had these parchments in uh, clay vessels. And uh, they were discovered and, and, uh, and archaeologists came in and began to preserve them and take care of them. But as uh, the scholars got a chance to go back and look at them, it was amazing what they discovered. These uh, manuscripts were older than the ones that they had been using for the Old Testament. Most of the ones they were using uh, to compile the, new, uh, the Old uh, Testament at that point were from the 9th century. But these Dead Sea Scrolls were from the 1st through the 3rd century. And what was amazing about it was as they compared them, it increased their confidence that what they, were, what they had used in the 9th century was, was credible because these documents uh, matched them. They were, they were identical. Hebrew scholar Miller Burroughs writes, It is a matter of wonder that though something like 1,000 years, uh, the text underwent so little alteration. It's amazing and unprecedented. It doesn't even happen in modern times when they do revisions on books that there are so few uh, errors that are being repaired and, and washed from, from the manuscripts. It's amazing what we have, and we can have complete confidence in it. Someone said years ago, and I've liked the, the saying because I, I'm a firm believer in having the head and the heart married when we come to our relationship with Christ as Christians. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Ultimately, you get into a place where somebody pushes you against the wall in, a, in an area that you don't know, or you don't understand, and they're attempting to shake your faith. Remember that we love him with all of our heart, as well as all of our mind. And our answer is, I'll go look for an answer for you, but I just talked with him this morning, and I know I'm cool. <laughs> I have a personal relationship, not just an intellectual relationship with him. There's sufficient evidence for us to believe in God and to take time to explore it, to dig deeply. And I have a, a section here on resources that just a, a handful uh, of resources, just three, really. And I intended to, to get the Josh McDowell book and give that out this morning as well, but it was expensive. So, um, but I wouldn't recommend it to you to put it into your library. I got the Lee Strobel Case for Christ, and I want to give that out this morning. Who is ready to study God's Word? Do we have somebody here that, that's ready to dig in? And All right, you uh, readers, you want to study? All right, Tom, come up. You bet. Do not allow a question to destroy your faith. Don't do it. I'm saying this to young people getting ready to, to head to college. Do not allow a question to dissuade you and turn you away. The world has questions. God has answers. <laughs> And one more thing that I want to add, uh, all of your mind, but uh, at the same time what I was saying a moment ago, all of your heart. I think a lot of, of young people that have, have gone through this deconstruction movement uh, have rebelled against what they grew up with and, and are deconstructing it and not believing. The problem is, is, is really you know, greater than just intellectual because in some instances they were taught uh, good intellectual Christianity to have a reason for their faith, right? 
But the problem is they haven't connected with him with their heart. They don't know how much he loves them. And they don't love him back. And as a result of that, they are easy prey to be snatched away because their heart has not had the connection with him. I have to tell you, all through my life, the challenges that have come, and there have been times that I haven't been able to answer. Certainly have been times where doubts have, have been raised by people who challenged my faith. That the ultimate thing that holds me is knowing I have this personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it suffices till I can find the answer. While I search and while I study and while I prepare to give you an answer, I want to tell you, I just talked with him this morning. <laughs> and everything's going well with me and him. It's the head and the heart that are going to help direct us to a sure foundation in Christ when they are bathed in the Word of God and, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? God is at work around us, but remember, He's also at work in you. He's at work around you, doing so many things, but He's also at work in you. And never deny the work that's going on in you, because somebody has a question. I can remember the first year in seminary, and uh, there was uh, a, a seminary professor, and he had elaborated on uh, his his uh, doctoral study had been uh, with respect to the shepherding, and and he had uh, talked about a, a series of things. But one of the things he, he talked about was the um, you know the the thirty sayings that are recorded in in Proverbs uh, from a father to a son, and he was talking about how prior to Scripture those uh, thirty sayings had appeared in uh, the writings of uh, another people group. And um, so, you know, uh, he had to take a break because he was going to get some materials for us. And so I followed him you know, down the stairs. I'm like, when you see something like this, you see here's things that were already existed in 30 sayings, and now they're in Scripture. You know, how do you, um, how does that balance? Like, how, how do you come to grips with that? And he said, it's easy. God has always been trying to reveal himself and his truths to mankind all along. And uh, that, that he's, he's always been speaking, and there have been people that have been hearing and copying down what God is saying. He loves you, and he wants to speak to you personally. He wants a personal relationship with you. He's at work around you, but he's at work in you. Your understanding of God is, is not bound up in intellectual arguments alone. You have this personal relationship with Him. I want to challenge you to study. I want to challenge you to dig into the Word of God. Because we're told throughout Scripture that we should be able to turn and have an answer for someone who, who, who is close to the kingdom, but they're not ready yet because one question hasn't been answered. I can remember standing in the parking lot with a guy, he'd... His wife had been a Christian for a number of years, and he would come periodically, and I'd reached out to Mike a number of times to try to, to, to uh, answer questions for him and help him make it easy for him to accept Christ. And we're standing out in the parking lot, you know, and uh, he's so close. You know, it was an Easter, and he's so close to making that commitment to Christ. And he says, uh, he started to get in his car, he opens the door, and he goes, 
he slams the door shut and he goes, Pastor, there's just one last thing. And it really, really bothers me. You know, he says, um, I, I believe, and he said, don't laugh at me. But he said, I really believe that, you know, when I was younger, uh, our family saw a UFO. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's troubled me. You know, could there be other, there could be aliens, could there be other people? There'd be other things going on. And this was something that was standing between him and a commitment to Christ. And I said, you know, there are things like that that I don't know. I do know that the book that has been written is for me, is for us, is for planet Earth. And the plan that God's unfolded is for us right now. And he cares and he loves you. Now, if there are other situations, other beings, other people on other planets, we don't know about it right now. We don't, we don't have any evidence uh, that's concrete that that's the case. Um, you know, there's some that believe that could even be demonic activity that people see, some things like that. I said, I don't have an opinion uh, for myself. Uh, I believe I saw a UFO when I was young, too. And I said, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That, uh, all that we need to know is what God has shown us and revealed to us. And he cares about you personally and loves you. And you're not going to be caught up in an alien ship and carted off somewhere, right? Because he cares about you and loves you. And there's no need for you to be concerned about something like that. And you know, for him, that was like, that was it. He turned around and he said, okay, pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready to make Jesus the leader of my life. And right there in the parking lot, we grabbed hands and said, Lord, you're a Lord over us. You're a Lord over this planet. You're a Lord over the universe. Whatever else is going on that we don't understand or know, uh, we're going to put that in your hands. But we believe that this is our moment right now to make you the Lord and the leader over our lives. It was so incredible. Mike, not only did he receive Christ that uh, particular uh, Sunday and made him the leader, uh, Lord and leader of his life, but... Over the successive years, Mike became one of our, our uh, deacons and, and one of our trustee board members, and uh, he helped lead, lead us as uh, a campus to our new location. It was just fantastic how God had worked in his life, and I still see him and Kay all the time and see uh, God doing great and mighty things through their, uh, their hearts and lives. It's amazing when we make Jesus the Lord and the leader of our life. I want to invite our worship team to come back. I want to ask you... Has your faith been shaken? Is there a question that you couldn't answer, a philosophical argument that you couldn't defeat? Maybe it, for you it might be a prayer that you pray that didn't get answered, and that alone, the enemy's trying to accuse God to you. He's saying, you know, if God really cared about you, if there really was a God, he would have answered that prayer. You were sincere. You really meant it. You needed that answer, and God didn't answer it the way you, you needed it answered. You may have, uh, you know, uh, come across that in, in your life or in the life of friends or family that there's, there was great suffering, and you didn't understand why, in, in the life of somebody who loved God and cared about God, and you're saying, why did they have to go through such great suffering or humiliation or whatever might be the case? And, and that might have shaken your faith in some way. I want to ask this morning as our worship team is going to lead us that if that's a place for you, if your faith has been shaken somehow by something that's taken place, 
that you would say, Lord, today I want to settle the issue. I want to settle the issue. And in a moment, I'm going to invite Michelle to come with me. We're going to stand right here in the front to agree with you in prayer. We're not perfect people. We don't have the answers to everything in the world. But I'll tell you what we do have is, is a relationship with Jesus Christ that can't be shaken. We've satisfied to the best of our ability those attacks that the enemy brings against your life. And we are standing rock firm and solid on Jesus Christ. We sang about it today. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the three in one. I believe in the virgin birth. Amen. On and on down the line, we were declaring what we believe. And we, we are, those are unshakables for us. I believe in the resurrection. I've studied the evidence, and I have every reason to believe that what Scripture says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It wasn't just one witness, two witnesses, over 500 at one occasion that saw the resurrected Jesus. All of the uh, disciples saw Jesus. One doubted Thomas. He's like, if this is really you, I want to put my fingers in your hands and uh, my hand in your side. I want to, uh, I want to see that the wounds of your hand and, and uh, the piercing in, in, in your side. And Jesus was willing. Here, Thomas, if you doubt, come. You know, he's not trying to say uh, this is all a mystical thing and you just have to take these huge leaps. There's reason why we believe and good reason why we believe. And Jesus is saying to you today, those of you who have had your faith shaken, I'm here, I'm rock solid, and I want you to stand on me, and I will meet you. I'll meet you. I'll meet you as you come to me, and I, I want to I invite you to come as they sing, and we're going to agree with you. Whatever it is that may have risen that's shaken faith, we want to stand with you as a church family that God is able to banish doubt and help you stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen.